Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley, a podcast about making things up, making things happen. We talk to creative people about how they do their thing and keep it going and, and hang in there. And this week, I'm so excited because one of my favorite movies of the year is La La Land, which is in theaters now. And my guest today is the music supervisor from that film, Steve Gazicki. So I get kind of specific with a lot of questions about the movie because I've seen it three times. So I don't think it's full of spoilers, but I think it's... If you've seen the movie, it'll be much more interesting to you, but I don't think it's, I don't think I ruined plot lines or anything like that. But um, if you haven't seen it, I recommend you see it. I loved it so much. And I'll explain why as I talk to Steve. Um, before we get into that, I want to uh, encourage you to like the Dennis Anyone Facebook page on Facebook. You can also follow me on Twitter at Hensley Dennis. Um, also, Instagram, Dennis C. Hensley. And I have a Patreon page now where once a month I'm going to post a special bonus episode with stuff that isn't on the regular podcast, and you can get into that for as little as a dollar, or uh, you can pay uh, higher amounts and get rewards like um, you know, an audio copy of my book Screening Party and, and links to my short films, things like that. So uh, you can find the link for that at the Dennis Anyone Facebook page or at DennisAnyone.net. Or just go to Patreon and search Dennis Anyone. So uh, next month, I'm going to start out with a great episode with Frank DeCaro. Uh, those of you who uh, listen to Sirius XM OutQ know Frank. Um, he's also a veteran of The Daily Show. And we did our regular interview, which will be on the podcast. And then we also did a all-observation deck extra episode, which will be on the Patreon page. So that's something to look forward to in the new year. But right now, we've got Steve Gazicki answering all my questions about the very delightful movie, La La Land. Okay, it's two days before Christmas. It's a rainy day in L.A., and I'm here at the home of Steve Gazicki, the music supervisor behind probably my favorite movie of the year, La La Land. Oh, hello. Merry You're early very Christmas. Kind. Thank you. Thank it's you. Merry so Christmas. delightful. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I've seen it twice and on the big screen and then once on uh, a screener, and it played great every single time. Um, I don't want to give away too many things about the plot because people are, it's unfolding as, as it's, as it's coming out, but I have lots that I want to ask you about because it's such a fun, exciting movie. You're the music supervisor. How did you get involved in La La Land? How did it come to you? Um, I was up in San Francisco working at Lucasfilm. I, I was the music department for Lucasfilm for, wow, for five I, years. I knew you worked with him. Yeah. I saw in your credits, but oh, you, yeah. were no, you was, up in San Francisco? Oh, yeah, yeah. I worked at yeah. Skywalker and worked with George almost every day. And it was I hear you amazing. can't take pictures of Skywalker. Oh, 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 I have tons of them. Oh, okay. Because uh, yeah, I know people that have edited films there, yeah. and they say it's amazing. Oh, yeah. I know it's the, it's the most beautiful place in the world. It's just And, and every day we were very aware of how beautiful it was right a lot of times you have a great job or any something good in life and you don't realize how good it is until it's gone you knew it oh but we know oh, yeah we 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 cherished it every single day right i bet they have good but, food and oh like kitchen. Well, it's, yeah it's actually it's self-sustainable so all the food of course is, it is like the, the cows are raised and killed there and uh, and all the vegetables are made there i mean the diet, every, diet coke is not made there no everything else is self-sustainable that's a like literally the crap. Everything that's in the kitchen is like yeah. yeah. Oh wow, that's amazing. All the kale, all the it's all it's yeah, working yeah, right yeah. there. Yeah, so I, I was up there working on uh, on some films up there, and I w one movie that I was working on was uh, it, it ended up being called Strange Magic. Yes, I remember animated, hearing about it. Animated thing, um, and the music director that I was working with is this guy Maurice Debris who um, you may know because he oversaw the music for Moulin Rouge and Romeo and Juliet. And oh, my he gosh. produced 
all of Bjork's solo records and Annie Lennox's solo records and some of Madonna's Ray of Light. And so he's, he's done a lot. Anyway, so he and I were working on this movie and he got the job on La La Land as executive music producer. And so I'm traveling back and forth to LA and I'm in the studio with him in LA and I'm hearing these La La Land songs as they're getting started. And I keep pestering him like, don't you guys need a music supervisor? Don't you need one? It really should be me. And he's like, oh no, we're not hiring anybody. We're not hiring anyone. And uh, eventually I got laid off from Lucas because Disney bought the company. And about two months later, Marius calls and says, hey, we finally need someone. You want to work on La La Land? Like, yes. So you really so, wanted it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, because I could hear them. And I met Justin Hurwitz, the composer, a few times while in Marius' studio. And I was sort of keeping an eye and an ear on it from a distance. Right. And I, you know, as you know, I watched it develop through, you know, initially it was Emma Watson, not Emma Stone. Right, I remember so, that. And there was a different guy. Yeah, Miles Teller. I never right. met Miles, but I ran into Emma, Emma Watson coming right. into the studio a couple times. And, and then, but once... Once it shifted away from Miles and Emma 1 to Ryan and Emma 2, the right. whole thing just took on a different life, and that's when they brought me in. Wow. Could you tell from the beginning that it might be special? Oh, Could I, you hear oh it? I knew First that songs? it was going to be special, yeah, because you know, at that point, we, the, some of the songs, like Another Day of Sun and the Planetarium piece, right. were already close to completion. Right. And were orchestrated. It was all synth stuff, right? Right. And, I, and some of the jazz numbers were almost done. But you, I could just tell that it was special, and plus, I was—I'm a huge fan of Whiplash, so I wanted to be part of something that Damien Chazelle was doing, and the vision was there, and they were dropping all the right words, right, in conversation, right. Like what kind of words? <laughs> like timeless, nostalgic, classic, and they kept referring to *Umbrellas of Sherberg, which right. is a movie that I absolutely love. As sort of a, they kept referring to it musically as *Umbrellas of Sherberg and *Singing in the Rain*, or just right. like cinematically, right? I and love. There's a moment where loved, Ryan. So. There's a moment where Ryan does the oh, singing yeah, in the rain the pole, yeah. pose on the pole. Yeah, that was a little shameless, but we. No, but it. it's what you yeah. want. Yeah, it's so the, winning. The pole, by the way, wasn't really attached very well to the ground. So in some of the early, like the pole, kind of like leaned a bit as he. That's hilarious. On to it, and we're looking at it later, like, oh shit, it's. Yeah, it's you can totally say, you can <clears> totally <throat> swear. Now, um, when I think of music supervisors, my knowledge was like a movie like you know Pretty in Pink. The music mm -hmm. supervisor goes out and finds all the cool pop songs or whatever. Um, I'm sure that's a, a narrow description of the job. But what does a music supervisor do on something like La La Land, where most of the mu music is written just for the for the show? Yeah, that's. You know, that is what, there are several different sides to music supervision. Right. Several and I think I probably, different brands there's probably one, one thing that yeah. I'm sort of and more familiar with. Yeah. And everyone really is familiar with the, the, the corner of music supervision where you, where it's mostly dealing with existing material and picking songs and soundtrack assembly and licensing and that kind of stuff. Right. Which clearly there's a little bit of that in La La Land. Yeah. You have some fun 80s <clears throat> yeah. songs. The 80s songs and some the Lonery Smuck material and other things. And Rebel Without a Cause, but the, the the corner of music supervision that I'm drawn to is is more of a maybe what you would think of as a musical director or um, or maybe like a line producer, but for the music department. Right. So it's, it's overseeing all things musical um, from top to bottom, um, production wise. Making uh, it happen. Basic is making it happen. Exactly. A like line I'm, I'm a just, line producer on a film is the yeah. person that like. Makes it happen. Yeah. So it's everything. You know, my first job was to was overseeing Ryan and Emma's rehearsal schedules. Right. Like it was my responsibility to 
get them trained to dance and sing and play piano in Ryan's case. And it's, it's work, it's hiring the musicians, it's booking the studios, right. it's overseeing all the recording and the production and the post-production and the mixing and the soundtrack. So. Now they obviously rehearsed a lot. The dance yeah. numbers are wonderful. The singing, Ryan plays jazz piano, like he's been doing it. Did you guys know how much rehearsal you would need? How do you figure out how much they're going to need? And how do you plan um, that? The choreographer had an idea, uh, you know, she met with them pretty early on and, and, and sort of, uh, kind of, you know, took, you know, took a, a view of their, of their skill set. Right. And their experience. Right, yeah, yeah. And so she figured out how much they needed. And with singing, we sort of had the same thing. Like we sent the two of them, Ryan and Emma to a vocal coach right off the bat. Right. And he reports back to us like, okay, here's where they are. And here's how much work I think they need. And, and we just kind of, you're also working by the way, towards a shoot date. Yeah, so the shoot have, date is already... Yeah, that's set. The shoot date is and, set. you got a hard... Yeah, so it's just a, a question of how much you squeeze in before that shoot date and how many days we allow them to call in sick. Right, <laughs> you did know? you save anything for the end? Were you like, okay, we're going to save this to the end because we need more time to get it ready? Well, we, um, we front-loaded... Uh, sorry, we... Uh, Backloaded, I guess. Which yeah. Would, um, the the end of the of the shoot were the uh, the big bigger numbers. Right. The um, uh, it wasn't Emma and Ryan, but the the another day of sun number was one of the very last things we shot. Right. Emma's audition song was one of the last things she shot. Right. Um, the duet number on the hill was one of the last things they shot. So the first things that we had coming up um, the very first day was the was someone on the crowd the roommates number. Right. So that was the first day, first two days. Then the second, third day, rather, was um, Ryan and his piano. Right. Um, the, uh, the bit that was shot at the um, smokehouse here in Burbank. I didn't realize that was the smokehouse. Yeah, and somebody smoke. said, hey, that's the smokehouse. It's smoke buried underneath a lot of Christmas decorations. It looks great. Which, you know, poor guy, that was his first day of the shoot and his hardest day. But How did he learn to play jazz piano so well, so fast? We had um, this really wonderful um, jazz piano teacher named Liz Cannon. Uh, work with them two hour, two to four hours a day, every day, or six days a week for about three to four months leading up to it. And then while we were shooting, he didn't stop. We we put a, tra- a piano in his trailer and he would just, on breaks, he would go to the trailer. Would you see him just sitting at craft services with his fingers? Oh, no, 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 we wouldn't see him at craft services <laughs> because he'd be in his trailer. How'd you, yeah. you know, you go, trailer. Wow. And also, jazz piano. I mean, if you were learning a classical piece, it's, 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 um... It's locked in stone, sort yeah. of musically. Jazz has to have a feeling of not being rehearsed. Yeah. So it's a very so tricky it, thing to try to teach somebody. Yeah, so Liz taught him the mechanics of it, right? Like the right keys to, to, to press and um, what to do with the pedal. But then we had this pianist named uh, Randy Kerber, who is a really amazing pianist. Like you, you hear him on almost all of John Williams' scores. And, right. Um, he was our. Um, our coach in terms of like his physicality right i guess the best way to put it like how do you sell it how do you look like you're really playing it i love the way from the shoulders to the head you know it and and he because that is you can only you get him to a certain point he's not going to be the world's best pianist in the span of four months but the fingers are sort of in an accurate place and if the body looks like it's really playing it then you totally buy it i totally buy it is what we're hearing on the soundtrack ryan no that's randy right okay yeah Awesome. Well, it looked note for note like there was no point where I was like, "Oh, he's not really playing that." I mean, he, he was absolutely playing it. And there was yeah. no cheating. We, right. There, we hired a hand double. Yeah. But we never used him. You never we used, used him. No, we, the, the, we just locked him in his trailer and he stayed there. And 
He's the, the loneliest job in Hollywood. Yeah, he, he got paid. He, got, he, he did well. I think I told you earlier, he got double scale for a couple of days. He's fine. That's right. But um, And he's a, a really, really great pianist, but it was... And it, we hoped that we would never use him, but it's like fire insurance, right? You just, just in yeah, case... Yeah, no, you, you got to cover everything. You have to cover everything. And um, Ryan kind of hated that we hired the guy. Right. And, you know, he, which caused him to just work even harder. Like, he's like, like, okay, I am, no, you're not going to be me. this guy. It is all going to be all me, and yeah. that guy's never going to leave his trailer. That's worse yeah. than getting a butt double for a sex scene. <laughs> it's the same thing. It's going to be my butt or my hands yeah, yeah, yeah. or nobody's. Now, was there a moment where you saw how how far Ryan had come? Like, did you, would you not see him for a while and then you'd see him, or were you seeing no, it every day? I wasn't, none of us were seeing it. It was just the piano teacher and Ryan. And the director would poke his head in every couple weeks because they wanted it to just be a very closed... Right. No, you don't want to be... It's an intimate thing. Yes, and and you're vulnerable. And and you're just learning really simple mechanics at first, right? So there's no way to to gauge what you're learning or not learning or how it applies to what needs to be shot. Right. And at a certain point, like Damien, the director, would go over there and start filming some stuff and we would all look at it. And it was a very slow process for a long time. And you, know, you can't see me, but I'm like the learning curve. It just kind of steady, 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 steady. But in the last week or two, phew, it skyrocketed. Because that's sort of when it all came together. And was it thrilling? It was thrilling, yeah, because we were... Um, I, don't, I don't remember what... Uh, I think actually it was two days before we shot. We had finished shooting someone in the crowd right. down in Koreatown. And we were at um, a restaurant... And they, uh, Damien came in with this video that he, that had just been shot of Ryan playing this uh, this number, me and Sebastian's theme, and we all gathered around to watch it, and it just totally blew our minds. We were just beside ourselves. It's going to work, yeah. Because at that point, you know, like all doubt is gone, all apprehension is gone, and we were almost in tears because oh, holy crap, he did it. Okay, you mentioned another day of sun. It's the opening right. number, and I think even if you haven't seen the movie, you might have heard that it's set in a traffic jam in L.A. It's one take. It's spectacular. Where are you when that's happening? Are you behind the monitor? Are you on the set? I'm in that... I'm in a different place every... Every, every take? Every number. Okay. But in, in that particular instance, I was hidden behind the blue truck, which is where yes. the band, band is playing. Yes, that's an amazing um, moment. Because that is... that one. We... The music department needed to be closer than most departments because we were also... We had, you know, a hundred dancers to make sure they were singing the right thing. So we had to be able to run out and tell someone that they were singing the wrong words. And I also had, I was in charge of the band that was in the truck. Right. How so many I had pieces to make sure that it? they were not dying of heat in the right. truck. Um, so we, so that behind the truck was the only place that we could actually hide with some monitors. And so that's where we were for a couple of days. The logistics of that, like knowing when a certain dancer would get a cue and knowing how to start. It's just, no, it was, every time you watch it, you're more impressed, not yeah. less. Well, also the, you know, hats off to Justin and the lyricists. The background vocal parts of Another Day of Sun are really complicated. And then we split them up so that one group of dancers was singing one part and then another group of dancers is singing another part. Like there's those dancers that jump up on the media and wave their hands in the air. And yes. drop off. They're singing one part. And the, peop- the kids on the hood are singing kind of the main lyric, but people that are running by are singing something totally different. And we had to just separate them into little quadrants and teach them. And work with them yeah. individually. Yeah. Are you- Some of them just weren't really singing, so we're like, hey, you're moving off camera a little bit. <laughs> on, on shots like that, that opening number, and also a number of the, a number of the shots are one shot. Yeah. Are you sitting there 
nervous? Like, please let him get it. Or oh, yeah. are you just oh, yeah. entertained? Oh, abs- you know, there's, are, there's a part of you that's like your stomach's tight going, please don't screw up. Because there's so many moving parts. Like, yes, you the know, camera can screw up. They have to get out the door at the right time. She has to throw her sunglasses into the, like, the, like the first girl throws her sunglasses into the car after her first couple lines. On a beat. Yeah. And a couple times, like, the sunglasses bounced off the door frame and hit, went back at her. Cut. Yeah. Cut. Back to one. Yeah. And, you know, we had, you know, the, the, at the very end of Another Day of Sun, everyone's, Another Day of Sun, boom, and all the doors slam it yes. on the same beat, right? It's delicious. However, like, so we had to make sure that, I, you know, had to pray that all the doors hit on the same beat, because we weren't going to CGI it later. Right. And then the blue truck with the band in it, that door had to kind of, had to come down and land at the same time. Right. And then, but the door mechanism broke, so we had to drill a hole in the back of the truck, and this poor kid is leaning in on the back of the truck and has to release it at just the right moment, which is sort of so that it has enough time to I mean, slam down. Literally, so yeah, so there's a lot of moving parts and we were petrified that they weren't all going to... It literally feels like hundreds of people had to do the right thing at the right time. Yeah. yeah. And there was... The, the thing that really jumped out at me is like, how did they do that? Is a skateboard lands on the ground yeah. when I, the music comes back that, in and I'm That thinking, was our stunt department and our dance department, like, Amazing. And the right. BMX guy and the parkour guy. Right. Right? Like, I... Incredible. You know, I have... We rehearsed in a parking lot um, for uh, about a week previous to that. And he, at that point, like, the guy wasn't really on a skateboard. He was just sort of running around. Right. Going on the cars. Yeah. yeah. And the BMX and... guy sort of is yeah. pantomiming a bike. So we never saw what that actually looked like until the day of. Incredible. Yeah. Um, and all of those different... Uh, dancers that are singing, are they actually singing or did you no. map, find voice? Yeah, we have so to, your job is to find a voice that feels like it's that guy's voice. Exactly, yeah. And How hard was that? That almost killed me. <laughs> was that one of the biggest that, challenges? That was one of the biggest challenges actually because it needed to be, it needed to look like it was coming out of that face, right. whatever face it was. Right. And it also needed to sound real and not studio. D- Damien and Justin had very specific ideas of what they wanted. They wanted the voices to be natural, to be human. They sounded like people in yeah, the world. Yeah, they sound like people. They, don't want, they didn't they sound don't, like Broadway. No, not Broadway, not American Idol, yeah. not um, boy band or whatever. It just needed to sound normal. And the, um, the, in the script, he's called Young Man, but the guy that jumps, that steps out of the car on the second verse. The, in the white shirt. The, yeah, hops he's over the medium. Cute. Yeah, and he's, that's uh, Michael Riccio, who's one of our um, choreographers. Oh, he's really cute. And finding our... Uh, Finding a voice double for that proved to be really difficult because, you know, we went through well over a hundred singers. Well, it's probably not the people you always call for a job because it's a different kind of sound. Look, like you know, when we put up the call, okay, we need a young guy, you know, sort of a you know tenor baritone somewhere in there, and you know, everybody we get is very you know talented but affected. By their genre, they're very right. Broadway. They're very. Oh, I'm in a riff. I'm going to yeah, give you Christina. Yeah, exactly. On this. Or they're they're you know clearly they want to be in One Direction or something. And, right. And I just would play all these singers for Damien, and he'd go, nope, 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 nope. Well, because no, less is more. Yeah. And yeah. and everyone they want the job. They want to show yeah. what they can do, and they're giving you more is more. And the guy that we got, we got at the very last minute because I, I we had like three days before we had to lock up the film and be done with it. And right. I hadn't found this found this guy yet, and everybody wow. was putting the heat on me. So I just, I said, I give up. So how did we you had, find him? We had a okay. cattle call basically. Yeah. Our vocal contractor, this guy, um, Jasper Randall, 
um, sent us a bunch of samples and we called in a ton of guys and there was just like one after the other after the other. Each, each guy got like 10 minutes and would you, spun them through. Would you, when you were auditioning them, would you look at the visual at the oh, same yeah, yeah. time? Oh yeah, So we yes. put them in the booth and we're watching the visual. And say, this is what yeah. you're doing. And we narrowed it down to like three guys that we thought would work. One yeah. guy that we really did like, this guy Sam Stone, who's, who's the one that made it. And, you know, I may be wrong, but I think, if I remember correctly, the story was very similar to kind of the arc of the movie. Where he, I think he had just moved to L.A., and this is like his first thing. Right. So he was that guy. He was, the, you know... He gets the, the, yeah. the optimism of it and yeah. the spirit of it. It's a very... It feels... Damien Chazelle is 31, maybe? 32. 32, somewhere there. Yeah. It feels like a young person's movie. Does it? Okay. Yes, <laughs> in the way that, like... Oh, wouldn't it be cool if the camera went in the pool? Mm-hmm. Or it, it doesn't feel like they've got all those reasons why something yeah. couldn't work. No, yeah, they he's feel not like jaded enough to... to he's, there's yeah. an unjadedness. Like, yeah. I feel like it, it feels like... Yeah. And that's what's so... I think part of what's so winning about it. And it's... We just... We all... All of our... All the department heads... Yeah. We just, you know... We're, we're jaded. Right. Because kind of, we've been doing this forever. And so there's a part of us that's thinking, oh my God, this is never going to work. But you meet Damien and he believes in it so strongly and his vision is so strong. You just give yourself up to it and go along with the ride. Like, you know, we're going to make this happen. We are going to shut down a freeway for two days with a hundred kids jumping up and down on cars and it's going to work. And when I was watching it, I thought he must have had so much confidence in his vision and also be able to communicate it and and, and he's got the talent Uh to back it up. But to get everybody to go on this... Yeah. Journey, Journey like this is going to work. He also had confidence in the people that he hired. Right. Um, it's one thing that I really respected about him so much was he 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 wasn't micromanaging. He just trusted everybody to do his job. Same with the producers; they just trusted that everyone knew what they were doing. Um, like for example, the first like, I get, I keep saying that you know the first number that we shot was someone in the crowd in the apartment building, right? Which is yet another tricky one shot. Right, the camera. It goes through the hole. Yeah, the camera the starts in their bedroom, goes into the living room, right. then goes through the kitchen, then comes back out yeah. and then out the door. Right. And the day before we shot that, I was talking to Marius. I said, "You know what? No one has called to make sure that we have our shit together and we know what we're doing." And that was just sort of the way that it worked. Everybody just trusted that you would show up and you knew what you were doing and you'd be ready. Wow. Yeah. What What do you need to be ready for on a day when they're doing a number? Playback um, has to be yeah. Right, it has to be locked, Corey, you know, Corey and playback has to be all over the set, yeah, because it keeps moving, yeah. So you have to have speakers, speakers everywhere. So we have to be in close contact with the. So we spent a lot of time with the sound department, right? This one. Yeah, so we worked really closely with the sound department and with choreography, um, who were both best in the business. Yeah, Mandy Moore, I'm a huge oh, fan no, she's, from yeah, So You Think Dance. She's great. Yeah, she's, she's really talented, great. but also when you watch that show, you get a feel for what their personalities are uh-huh. like. And she just always seems warm yeah. and compassionate and professional, yeah. and 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 then she's so talented on top of it. Yeah. It's great. And she's really, you know, because she does television where things change so quickly. You know, she there were things that we discovered along the way that were working. Right. And she was able to just reinvent things, you know, on the spot or overnight, and you know, always went off without a hitch. Now, I cried watching it. Did you ever cry during... Oh, I still cry. During a, Do you yeah. cry when you... Were you crying... Did you cry when you shot it? Was there a moment where you felt like, oh my God, that's really gotten to me? The... Not the freeway number. Are you talking right. about... Oh, no, 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 yeah, there were several times that, yeah, we... 
Like, um, like if we went behind vil- Video Village, everyone would be oh, like... Oh, yeah, when Emma sang Audition Live, yeah. everybody was in tears. Um, and she sang that, you know, honestly, at least eight times live very, very well. Yeah, and, and it's, one of the, it's one of the final numbers of the movie. Yeah. It's a wonderful number for her. And it's it's one take again, right? Yeah, another one take. Yeah. And she's saying like... We, we love those. We love to make things harder. So. I, there's something so... You know, I just saw Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find yeah. Them. And, you know, it, it's not really my kind of movie. It was all right. But it was one of those movies where the whole city gets destroyed. Yeah. And every building gets blown up. And it's, there's this, this trend now, especially in those effects-driven movies, where everything just gets destroyed. And now no, no effects mean anything anymore. Yeah. Because it's so excessive. So when you see something like, oh, my God, those real people did that real thing in one take. Yeah. That, to me, is a special effect. Yeah. That, to me... Yeah is more awe-inspiring than everything blowing up, you know? Yeah. And so, how many of the numbers did they sing live? Uh, the audi- Emma's audition song. Right. And um, City of Stars, the duet version, which was in when the they're at the piano. The piano, that's all live. So charming. Um, some of John's Start a Fire is live. Right. He, he's a live performer, so... Yeah, John Legend has a part in the that. movie. Yeah. Um, the 80s guy sang live. He was really good. He's really good. D.A. Wallach, by the way. Yeah. yeah. There's a scene set at a, a like a pool party, and there's an 80s band performing, and the vocalist, like, Take On Me is not an easy song to no. sing. Well, it's also, it's, if I challenge your listeners to go actually read the lyrics, because it's kind of nonsense. Yeah. We had to, you know, I've been singing that song for 30 years. Yeah. And really had no idea what I was saying. And the answer is that it's not really saying much of anything. I saw Aha uh-huh when I was in college, yeah. and he didn't go for the high note. Oh, Isn't yeah. That, oh, yeah. You, take on me without the high note. In a day or two. Yeah. You know. Oh, we had a lot of fun playing So, there's and an 80s... Also, and then also Emma sang her bits and someone in the crowd live. Like her little interjections in the apartment yeah. and in the bathroom. Oh, yeah. And that wonderful sort of where it slows down. Yeah. Um, the 80s number, was it fun to choose the songs for that? Or how those, did that come you know about? What? I, I was would like to, I would like to take credit for those, but they were already in the script. And they were so perfect, I had no reason to fight it. Yeah. Going back to Ryan a little bit, I love the way he related to his keyboard. Yeah. The way he, you know, looked up from it or didn't, or like, I don't know, I just liked the way he was with it and the way he would engage with other people while he was playing. Okay, and we, and it was all of that. because that was something that we were working on as well, like how, you know, Marius, for example, is, a, is an accomplished keyboardist yeah. and, and so is Justin. So we had an, an army of people that know their pianos. And it's part of the and, character and it's part of his charm. Yeah, and it's, you know, how... Like, how would the, uh, a keyboardist react, and, and how, what, you know, what knobs do they turn when the song is over, and you know, we wanted it to be real. Because there's some, you know, for, for music people, there's nothing more frustrating than seeing a movie where somebody's playing an instrument, and they're clearly not playing the right notes, or really faking it. You yeah, know? and you can tell. Yeah, you can tell. Now, with, with something where Emma's singing live, say the audition piece... Uh-huh. The, they must be playing the track in the in the room, no, right? No, she actually. We had earbuds in her ears. She has earbuds in her yeah. ear. So That's we, how I was wondering how yeah. the performers hear it because they know yeah. they have to go to the music. Yeah. So we would have uh, Justin again, the composer. He'd be right. just off off sight from the camera, and he'd be playing the piano live into her ear. So what you're hearing is, you know, it's not actually to a click. And it's not perfectly metrical, so we're he's scoring these things live. Right, well, that, that yeah, because the rhythm of yeah. that song in particular yeah. is 
it's very speeds up, it yeah. slows down, or it's so very much the orchestration she's around the story. Her yeah, and we just so let he's her just go. following like, can you her. Tell the story, much like in the movie, it says just tell us a story. You're and a storyteller, and and a sim- similar thing happened uh, when she's sitting in the restaurant. It was Jar here in uh, on Beverly in West Hollywood when she hears me and Sebastian's theme. It's yeah, like, she thinks she hears it over the loudspeaker. Right. Um, but in order for her to pro- to react, we again we put a, a little thing in her ear, and Justin played the piano live, and he he looked at the monitor and he played to her reactions, and it kind of ebbed and flowed, and and he that's would, incredible you know, because that, her, that was one of the times that I, I weeped on set because, <laughs> because you don't have to do it that way. No, there's but, in other words, there's a you know you could just pretend you hear the thing coming out of the yeah. speaker. No, I think that a lot of people would do that, but Damien didn't want no, to. No, and like, but you when she's walking down the street and she hears a piano, we are playing it back. You know, we ev- so whenever, she had little earbuds. Yeah, in there, whenever there's music in the in the story that a character reacts to, they were actually reacting to music somehow, whether we're playing it out loud or playing it into their ear. Where's Justin on the piano when she's doing the audition? Um, in a totally different room? Totally different room, yeah. Right. Is he able to see her? Oh, yeah. yeah. So there's monitors. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So they're in this together. Yeah. That's so unique. Yeah. And so different. What was the best day on the set and what was the worst day? Oh, God. Because with film, things go wrong. Yeah. I mean, there's scrambles. The worst day was probably... But it... It was still a very successful day. Every every day was a successful day because the film turned out right. very really well. But shooting City of Stars in Sebastian's shitty apartment yeah. was maybe the worst day for the music department because we, you know, most people would build a shitty apartment on a soundstage. We actually went to one in North Hollywood. And, or Panorama North City. North Hollywood sorry, is... Sorry, City. Panorama City. Okay. And, um, and we even brought a crane into this little tiny apartment. But we're trying to record the vocals live, and a cop got shot down the street. So there's sirens and police helicopters all day long. Oh my and when god! We're trying to get this thing live. I mean, that sounds so very, like you know, somebody got shot. So clearly, right. someone else had a worse day. No, but it's but, sirens. You know, but it was and... it was really difficult for us to get. Yeah, it took it, it was a lot. I mean, in my limited experience, you you never realize how many leaf blowers there are in LA yeah. until you go to try to shoot something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's crazy. There's like somebody's job should just be pay off the leaf blowers. Yeah. Or create a silent leaf blower. There's that. And, and also it's interesting in your job because so much of what you're in charge of, the music, yeah. doesn't exist until you shoot it. Yeah. In other words, you don't have the performances from the studio. Yeah. And, well, in we, other we words, do actually because the live performances, we had recorded studio versions. Okay, cool. So actually we got to the point where we were just about to go to the fallback. Right. Because you, again, with much like the hand double, you have to have an insurance policy. So just in case the wheels fly off the cart and they're not going to be able to sing it live, right. we had to have a pre-record that they could lip sync to, so we got it. Right? Yeah. Because you only have the one day, you're out of money, right? So yeah. That really did look like a shitty apartment, but it, it, was. it was also beautiful. Yeah. I mean, the lighting really helped. You know, the sort of green, almost creep show lighting. I mean, purple, you, you guys do things with purple, yeah. not in that scene particularly, but like, there's so many beautiful purples in the movie yeah. and in the poster even, you know? No, and that's what you were asking what... What the best day was. The, the best, best day, day would have been shooting A Lovely Night up in Griffith Park. Oh. Because that, it was so, so challenging because it was all, again, all one shot. And it's a seven or eight minute sequence. There, there's the dialogue. They're, yeah, they're, they're walking and talking. Then they sing and then they dance. And then they, and there's a moment halfway through where you're like, okay, that's all they're going to do. They're going to cut away. Yeah. And they're like, no, it keeps that, going. It yeah. gets bigger. And like. And that had to be shot at Magic Hour, which is a specific period which is of what, time. Like 
one hour either side of sunset. Yeah, exactly. So it has that perfect magic glow to it, right? So and you're so playing Beat the Clock all yeah, the time. Yeah, so we only got like maybe maybe five takes. We did it over two days. We only got like five takes per day. But the first first and last two, or first and last one or two, were too dark or too light. So we right. only got like two good ones each day. And the one that they nailed, which is the one you see in the film, it's, you know, I, I hope it ends up on the DVD or something because as soon as they finish and then she clicks, she finds the car and then yeah. she, ex- she exits, they both exit frame. As soon as they're out of frame and the, the guy yells cut, like the entire set, everybody completely freaked out because we knew that we had gotten it. You captured and everybody it. just rushed. Em and Ryan is jumping up and down and hugging and it was... It was incredible. So that was just one of, that might have been the best moment on set. Well, and also it's not just the choreography that they're doing; it's the camera choreography. Yeah. Like uh, going back to the opening number, it's a person on Steadicam, right? Yeah. But is he? Is there cranes involved? Because it feels like it goes up too high. Yeah, but there's actually there's two hidden cuts in there that you've seen it a couple of times. So you've probably found. I have them by a now. sense of them. Yeah. Because when the camera, whoops, yeah, whoops, whoops, yeah, but yeah, um, but I'm not going to tell any tell the, the listeners at home more than that. So it was a combination of. Of three parts, um, part one was um, a steady cam strapped to a guy. Right. Part two was all crane. Right. And then part three, I think, was a steady cam again. I think. Yeah, steady cam, and then he climbed up onto a, um, a cherry picker. And then, yeah. yeah. As a Prius owner, I want to thank you for romanticizing the Prius. <laughs> I'm glad that everyone got the joke. I, I wasn't sure that people would get well, the joke. There was one. There's <laughs> one shot where she's going to a callback or something, and she just parks in a parking lot, yeah. and there's some palm trees in the back. It looks like any LA appointment that I went to in my yeah. shitty Prius. And I'm like, oh, this is now glamorous. Even that looks beautiful. Yeah. That's an old haunted hospital in Pasadena. What I love about the movie is it looks like L.A. looks. Yeah. It doesn't look like it doesn't look. It doesn't look like it... It looks like it looks, but it's also beautiful. Yeah. It's like, oh, that street, I know that street, and it looks exactly like that. Yeah. And yet it's somehow more beautiful. And I think having you know, worked on it for a year and a half and been looking at it for so for that long... You know, I see beauty in things that I never noticed so much before. You know, we like basically what? shot every mural in the entire city. Yeah, you really noticed that more than I used to. Where is the place early on where Ryan's having coffee? It's across from the jazz club. Oh, that's a fake mural. Oh, so that mural. Had, that's the I one wanted fake to go to that one. mural. Yeah, yeah that okay. was fake. The, the, the orange grove. Yeah. yeah, yeah was, it looks fabulous. Yeah. Um, do you drive around and remember places now? Like, oh, I remember Oh, this. yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, it's also watching the movie is, you know, and Mandy and I were talking about this last time I saw her. The, the film really hits home to us because it's, it's almost like a what I did on my summer vacation document. Mm-hmm. It's like looking through a scrapbook. Yeah. Like, oh, well, that's the day that this happened or that's the day that, you know, it's... Yeah. I think that the, sh- the movie's obviously doing well. I think it'll spawn like tours. Like you'll come to L.A. and you'll do the La La Land tour and they'll take you around to all the places and they'll play the music and it'll I be beautiful. It'll- is it curved one? Some website. And you won't get a has. dime from it. No, I won't get a dime from anything, but yeah. yeah. What's, what's your favorite memory of Ryan and your favorite memory of Emma? Oh, boy. Um, Emma had a nickname for you, didn't she? Yeah. <laughs> there, uh, thank you for remembering that, Dennis. I know it's fun. Um, the, one of the producers on the film, for some reason, is convinced that I'm a Tom Cruise double. You do look a lot and like Tom Cruise. So he would pull people aside. Hey, this guy, doesn't yeah. he look like Tom Cruise? Hey. And so he's literally of, parading you around. Literally parading me like around. Like show and Studio executives. And one day. <laughs> yeah, if, if Cruise is ever a pain in your ass, yeah. I can, we've got it. He says, hey, you know, then one yeah. day he 
was, we were talking to Emma, and he said it, and then it just kind of stuck with her. So she just started calling me Tom, and I'm not... Not really, Maverick or anything no, like that? I'm not really sure she even remembers my real name anymore, because yeah. she's just called me Tom so much. And then one day she was... She wanted me to act out scenes from Jerry Maguire, and I just failed miserably, because I don't remember the lines from Jerry Maguire. Well, next time you should bone up on it. Have you ever gone as Tom Cruise for Halloween, like Maverick? I did, actually, this year, because I just gave in. Yeah, so I went you're as, just I went as his character from Minority Report, and it was actually a miserable failure. It was just kind of... Yeah, what does he wear in that movie? Leather bomber jacket, yeah. and gloves, and sci-fi gun. It That's just, all right. It looked like the lazy... I, I don't like Halloween, and it looked like I didn't like it. You were phoning it in? Yeah. yeah. All right, anyway, I got off on a tangent. So, favorite memory of Emma, favorite memory of working with Ryan? Um... Oh, boy. Actually, the same day as the Jerry Maguire challenge, <laughs> and I, we were just, so that day we were just sitting, and it was while we were filming the epilogue sequence, which is on the big sound stage with the color yes. backdrop, and she just looks around, and she just says, can you believe we get paid for this? And, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically right. the gist of the conversation was she was just honored and thrilled that she gets to do this every day and she's like I get to wear these beautiful dresses and I get to listen to this great music and I get to sing and I get to dance and I can't believe this is my job this is amazing I'm so lucky and that was just a really great you know that's great to hear that it's from nice them. to yeah. hear them say yeah. that when it's when they're not being interviewed or there's no yeah. reason to exactly. say exactly although it's now just like, she may have said it knowing that I would repeat one it day a do podcast a podcast later. heard by tens yeah, of it's totally a, people it's a plant yeah she's, she's very smart she's very shrewd that way yeah what I did yeah. feel about her performance is that she could tap in and remember what it was like to struggle yeah. it, here in L.A. Yeah. She, she, that wasn't too far away from her in no, terms of think, emotionally. I think that Mia is pretty close to her. And I, I think, think she, yeah. but she remembers what it was like to... I saw her at a Q&A and she, they were asking what was your worst audition. And she said the, the, the worst part was the, the months and months when you wouldn't have an audition. Yeah. Like what that felt like. Yeah. And I felt like that stuff's really close to the surface. And I connect to the sort of beautiful strugglers because I feel like I am one and a lot of the people that I interview are people that are doing cool things but they're they're no they're not you know major you okay. know they, they, they a lot day of jobs movies and, that nobody liked up until yeah, this one so, you know? I, so. I, I have such a soft spot for the beautiful yeah. strugglers and what about Ryan? I would my favorite memory of him I think is might have been on his first shoot day after we finished the me and Sebastian thing mm-hmm. um Again, that's the the one where he gets fired from his job. And he it's, a, up. it's such a beautiful piano yeah. piece, and when you hear it, you feel like it's always existed. Yeah. You yeah, feel exactly. like you've well, always I, known it. Yeah, I actually you're hearing I it for the first time. When I first, because I, I was convinced like this is this exists before. It's too perfect. This already exists, right? Right. So you designed it. So I was just I, I went down the rabbit hole. Did they made, see you? Just, just no, it? just making sure that we weren't in trouble mm. with somebody. But no, it's, you secret. You shazammed it secretly. Yeah. But I um, love that. But we, you know, he was clearly very nervous going into this moment because not only is it's his biggest piano moment and it's his first one um so we actually met him on set the night we got on set the night before so we could kind of work with him and get him comfortable in the space too right like everybody gather on ryan support him but the day of the shoot he he nailed it and he did so so well that i again after his you know much like a lovely night once we once the um first ad yelled cut the entire place burst into applause and everybody was just so proud and screaming. You could just see in his face that he was so happy. And that, that, so there was that, there was that, that visual of him just, you know, there, 
these people are world famous, but but they have challenges too. Right, right? and these and are not performances that can be made yeah. in the editing room. And you just, they have to bring it. And like, oh my god, I did it. And yeah. And it all all that hard work paid off. You just saw it in his face, and it was a really great moment. I love that. Plus, he wears clothes so well. Would yeah, he come oh, out I of a suit he, and we'd just be like, ugh. Yeah, he would walk out of a trailer and I'd look at him like, are you kidding me? I, and the really? shoes, everything. I wish I was his size because then I would have had the costume designer give me his clothes. But. They have amazing chemistry and they're really beautiful and sexy together. But they, like, there's never a scene where they're, like, he, they get out of bed. Like, there's, they, they never, um, they don't have a sex scene or even mm-hmm. a, an aftermath of a sex scene. They have it's a family bed together. What's that? It was a family phone. But there was something about it that I liked, that I appreciated. Yeah. Well, it wasn't what is one of the things that's so great about Damien is it's all, it, and this is this goes to music, this goes to every scene in the film, every shot doesn't serve the story. And would a sex scene have actually served the story? I mean, it would have made the audience kind of excited, probably. Well, but, not but even a sex scene, did. but a moment, a moment where they wake up and you feel... Like, in other words, they, they there's, there wasn't a lot of skin between... You know yeah. what I mean? There was, But it was very romantic and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it, was, it, it just not felt that real. Sexy, it felt like you know a real relationship yeah. and you, you know, it sort of didn't need it, yeah. I guess, you know? I love that how it dramatized this idea that when you... I don't know, it could be true in other cities, but especially true in L.A., when you date somebody, you're also dating their dreams yeah. and how they feel about their dreams uh, and how their dreams are going for them and how your dreams are going for you. Yeah. And it's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I was just telling a friend today that despite the fact that they sing and then they fly, yeah. like it's actually to me one of the most realistic portrayals of a relationship that I've seen in the movies in a long time. Because in the movies, usually relationships break up because of something really dramatic. Right? That's the point of a right. film is to be larger than life. Right. But, Somebody cheated. Somebody yeah. da, da, da. But in in La La Land and as in real life, sometimes it just doesn't work out. You still love each other, but timing is off or your dreams pull you into different directions and, and schedules and, don't align and it's just the way And they both is. understood that. Yeah. They both understood it internally. It's not, you know, you're not burning yeah. shoes and throwing them into the bathtub or something, you know. Yeah. You just... You still love that person. Right. But it just didn't work out. Uh, I'm seeing that movie at a point where I'm sort of questioning, what am I doing? Uh-huh. What, am I, I should pursue something else or, you know, being a writer and all this stuff. And, and when Ryan Does it help? Got, Does it, help? it helps okay. because I felt like at one point Emma Stone was really frustrated. She said, I can't do it. Yeah. I, I can't do it anymore. And he goes, oh, you're being a baby. That's sort of and my I favorite thought, like, in the whole movie, That's by the way. true. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm being a baby. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I thought... I, I, it really spoke to me. It yeah. sort of pepped me up a little bit. Like, oh, boo-hoo. I mean, yeah. yes, boo-hoo, but I don't know. It kind of it kind of inspired me and it gave me, uh, empowered me a little bit. Yeah. What I also love about the movie is its humor is very contemporary. Mm-hmm. And anytime something super sentimental happens, there's a funny modern thing that happens yeah. that balances it out. And it, it's so fresh in that way. Well, just so you don't, you know... I, I'm not, you know, trying to get into Damien's head, but I'm assuming, like, you, after we finish these big nostalgic moments, sometimes it's interrupted by a phone call. Yeah. Uh, by an iPhone. But, or, but with a very contemporary a brain joke or yes. something, right? So it's, you, you know, you may kind of float off into the 1950s or 60s for three minutes, but then, boom, it pulls you right back into today. Right. I love this with the coffee, when she shows up with the coffee and that the casualness of that moment. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. so perfect. Yeah. I don't want to give it too much away. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy. Now, were you always into music? Do you remember loving music as a kid? Oh yeah. No, that was, 
you know, it's sort of all I've ever done. Yeah. Um, my first job was at a record store. and that's What record store? Uh, Licorice Pizza. For so those of you who are young, there used to be a thing called records, and they would be sold in record stores. Oh, they, yeah. Yeah. Um, Urban Outfitters is telling a ton of records these days. Target. Yeah. Every time I go to Target, there's fewer CDs. It makes me sad. Yeah. Um, I, but where, where was the record store? Uh, San Diego. Awesome. So Licorice Pizza was a local, was a Southern California. Licorice Pizza, get it? Yeah. Um, That's really clever. Yeah. No, I didn't get it until you explained it to me. Um, but yeah, like I was just, you know, I was born in Michigan and I remember like there was this moment where my love of music kind of triggered. I, you know, it must have been 75, maybe right. somewhere, or later, maybe seven, and um, I had these two stoner uncles and I went to their scary bedroom that was all black light kiss posters or something. And, right. And they played an Iggy Pop record for me. And by that point, and up until then, I had only known like... You know, AM radio, like Afternoon Delight and of course. You know, Kiss, I guess. Classic. But, you know, you, but when I heard that Iggy Popper get this, it sort of opened up this whole world of weird. Like, and you realize, like, I didn't, I, I didn't know counterculture. I didn't know. Right. And, you know, there wasn't such a word as alternative back then, right? Right. There was, you know, popular music and then the underground stuff that you just wouldn't hear. Right. So that, that kind of, you know, was like the cliche of the world going from black and white to Technicolor. And then shortly thereafter, I moved to Southern California and then became a goth kid. And Were you full on goth? Would you wear eye makeup? Not the eye makeup, but right. I had jet black hair. But I was tan because I was in San Diego. It was a really right. weird sight. What music makes you think... on a tangent that... I don't need to go on. I it. love it. <laughs> what music makes you think of that record store when you hear it? Oh, God. I was listening to a lot of Thompson Twins and Echo and the Bunnymen at the time. So right. That, like, Hold Me Now. Yeah. Just like 80s... Which I still listen to all that stuff, by the way. But Thompson Twins have this song called "Sugar Daddy" that I always yeah. loved. That was never a hit. Yeah, that, that was that was there at the end of their. That was run. at the end, but you that know what I'm talking about? Oh, it's yeah, very catchy. Yeah. yeah, that's so cool. What do you remember the first CD you ever bought? I think the first, first album, album was or... ABC's Lexicon of Love. I oh think. yeah, that was a and good Peter one. And Gabriel's So. I think those are the first two on vinyl. No CDs. CDs. Yeah, the first vinyl I ever bought was um, John Williams' Close Encounters theme, the Seven Inch. A seven-inch Close Encounters, yeah, yeah like a first, single. That was the first thing I ever bought. Yeah, wow. So you were into that film music. So film yeah, music. Yeah, it yeah. makes sense. Did you ever play music? Do you play? I play instrument. I played piano a little bit when right. I was a kid, and I played saxophone for about five minutes. Yeah, but I was terrible at it, and it's a hard instrument, so I gave up really quickly. Now, when you are working with music all mm-hmm. the time, how does it affect how you enjoy music in your? Downtime, like when you go to movies, are you yeah. are you oh yeah, no, are I you think, able to lose yourself? Or you're like, oh, no, I bet I, they paid a lot. For I that. think way too much, and not, yeah. like I can't watch American Idol or The Voice because I spend so much time working with singers that are struggling, right? And it just hits too close to home, right? Right. Um, so I just can't watch those shows. <laughs> there's um, a limit to the beautiful strugglers. There's a limit. You, you I just, I've, I've, just, I've yeah. seen that. I don't need to see it. For my moments of enjoyment. Do you ever just, like, listen to talk radio or something? Do you ever have to be like, I need to not listen to music right now? Yeah, there are moments where I just don't because yeah. it makes me... But but it's also... It's clearly it's my passion and it's my escape. Of course. Right? But you know, when I watch a movie, I do think too much. Like, oh, I would have ended that cue a little earlier or oh, yeah. I would have gone differently here. Yeah. Now, you worked on a number of animated movies, I noticed, yeah. on your list yeah. and, and different things. Is there a moment... Is there a song that you've, you that you paired with a particular moment in a movie that was like that you feel is particularly inspired? Mm-hmm. Like that shouldn't work, and yet it totally works. And you know, because I would oh, think yeah. how you how those pairings come up is 
something mysterious about yeah. it. Like it, it, how how that how your mind works to connect a song with a moment. You know? Oh God, I don't. You know? Well, there was a a Star Wars TV series that we never quite finished where. Kate or Katy Perry's um, teenage dream somehow worked very well over Stormtroopers thing. Of course um, it would. But, First of all, that is the perfect pop song. Yeah, but unfortunately, you know, no one has seen it. It kind of got put on the shelf when Disney bought the company. Maybe wow. one day it'll it'll bubble to the surface. Was that a we'll huge say. bummer when that happened? Oh yeah, well because it was an animated series called Detours, and we, uh, you know, we worked. For years on that show, animation takes a long time. So we've yeah. been working on that show for two and a half years or something. By that point, three years, two and a half years, and we finished one season and were hard at work on the second season when we just got shut down. And, and you that decided was, that was really heartbreaking. Really and you heartbreaking. decided to move back to LA. Yeah, well, that well, I was still there because the, they shut the series down, but I stayed on. Right, and yeah, I was still working on. I worked on Star Wars Rebels a little bit, but I was I had to finish Strange Magic and get it out the door. Right. Um, so I, I stuck around, um, but so at least you know the show got shut down, and all those people, those really talented people, got laid off. I at least got to stick around for another nine months or a year. But yeah, but then you then you were up there, and you decided to move back. Yeah, well, because yeah. the um, the writing was on the wall there to tell me, oh, Steve, your end date is blank. Yeah, and then my lease expired in San Francisco, and I thought, well, I'm just going to move back home and finish my job in LA. Why not? Yeah, how was it being in San Francisco socially and? Uh, did you like it? Did it did it suit you? I liked it, but it's and I'm a Southern California boy, and I somehow that the weather worked for me more than I thought it would. I got a thicker skin, and I got, got used to layers. Colder, yeah, I got used to colder weather. Now I don't like hot weather. So yeah, anyway. but I the rough part really was I lived in the city and worked up at Skywalker Ranch in Marin, and that was a long commute. Yeah, so I ended up moving up to where the ranch was, and then I just you know I basically I lived in a cottage in the forest, literally. Yeah, and so I really had no social life outside of work. So you're sort of just working. Yeah. Do all the streets at Skywalker Ranch have fun names like no, Han Solo Boulevard no. or anything like that? No? They should. I know. Yeah. Oh, trust me. Yeah, I, they're, they're star, there's a lot of Star Wars jokes, but they, you know, within reason. Yeah. Um, back to La La Land, the observatory scene where they fly. Yeah. They were rigged to fucking fly yeah, in the yeah, observatory. Because yeah. it's hard enough to make someone fly on a soundstage. But well, actually, well, that, in... that was a soundstage, though, because we couldn't film within the actual planetarium. Yeah. So they're in the, it's like the actual observatory for the exteriors and then walking past the Tesla coil and that waltz that they do around the pendulum. That's yeah. all the real location. But then when once they're inside the planetarium, we just couldn't get a permit to film inside the planetarium. Sure. So that's a soundstage. And, and also rig it to yeah. fly. Yeah. Was that another one of those scenes where it's like, oh, God, please let this work? Yeah, well, they, you know, in addition to Emma and Ryan learning how to sing and dance and Ryan had to play piano, we had to teach them how to fly on wires. And that was just something that it was almost, it was almost one thing too much for them to wrap their heads around. Yeah. And it was really hard to, to carve out time for them to do that. Also, because, yeah, and it, some people are afraid of heights, yeah. and it's weird, and well, it's the dancing, kind of athletic. It took a while to get there, so we had to make sure the dancing was on point, and yeah. oh, crap, we need a couple hours to do wire stuff, and I'm trying to get them to come in over the weekend and do wire bits, but by that point, we're shooting. And, and you're sort of in charge of getting them there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's probably I mean, that falls I, under I your haven't thing. apologized to them yet, but they, yeah. clearly they've survived, so. When was the moment when sort of the team came together and realized what they had. Was there a screening early on or was it a film festival moment? Um, well, we always knew that we had something special, right? But we, 
it was a bit of a struggle at first because we had two test screenings in Pasadena and they didn't go very well. I mean, they went well, but not spectacularly well. Um, and so we kept cutting. And at that point, I, I think you might know that um, the traffic number at the beginning was cut out of the movie for a while during the I those, didn't you know, know that. That yeah. breaks my heart. Yeah. Well, because we... The, the movie originally opened with an, um, with an overture. So it was like a classic movie musical overture. Yeah. Like three minutes just of beautiful orchestra over cards and colors. Then it went into the traffic number. Then you met me and Sebastian. And then the story started. And the note kept coming back. Oh, God, it just takes forever for these two to get together. And it just, which was a very accurate note. Yeah, I mean, usually when somebody has a note... Maybe you don't agree with the note, but there, there's something yeah. about it. Yeah, you so know? that's where we so we pulled the traffic number out, sort of with the overture, and that wasn't wasn't quite right. Then we pulled the overture and the traffic number out, and then we even pulled someone in the crowd out for a little while. So the first musical number wasn't until uh, "Lovely Night," and we just kept screening it internally, just as we kept moving these parts around to see what worked and what didn't. Um, and then eventually, it just kind of gelled. And... Was there anything that didn't make it that you really miss? Actually, well, not really. The We lost the second verse of Someone in the Crowd because originally we followed the girls out of the apartment. It's the number with Emma and her roommates yeah. and they go to this fabulous party. Yeah, after Sonoya, the actress says, whispers at Someone in the Crowd. That yeah. We actually felt the camera followed them outside. And that is really complicated. Another one shot going downstairs into the apartment. Or oh, the I want to see that someday. It's, it was really difficult. Yeah. But when we put when we assembled everything later... We looked at it, and the whole number ended up being like seven or eight minutes. It was just way too much. And also, by we lost track of it being Mia's story. Right. So I, by pulling that second verse out and by inserting the shot of her on the bed, looking up and making mm-hmm. up her mind, it just kind of, the, the number gelled. It just worked. Yeah. Um, what was the first public screening? A festival? Yeah, first public screening was at uh, Venice Film Festival in Italy, which... To, this, just to be in Venice I know, already. This film has had a lot of magic moments. Yeah. Um, and the reception has been so great, but that... I don't think that we'll ever top that one, because we were... We had not seen it with an audience yet, an audience of non... Right, it's not a test screening. Exactly. Yeah. And... You know, there are, and right, I guess that the afternoon before, there were some press screenings that we'd heard had gone well, so that Hollywood Reporter and Variety, the trades, right. could get reviews out in right. advance of the Venice screening. And as we were on, you know, we were, you know, we're all in tuxes and gowns, we were riding these boats across to the, to the premiere, and at that moment, all the reviews started to roll in. And they're all glowing, so we're just... Oh, it's like the, mo- the moment in a musical, like in Broadway, the midnight moment where you see the reviews. Yeah. It's like, like so we're, we're on Cloud Nine, but then we're, you know, as we're about to show it in front of, you know, the, the audience at Venice, which is notoriously fickle, I guess. Um, yeah. Showing it for critics is one thing. Sure. Showing it for the audience is going to be judging our film. And, you know, I, Damien and Mia and Emma, confusing names, were just a, a wreck, really, really nervous and... But, uh, we knew that we were in a good place after um, another day of sun because the entire place just burst into applause. And then they burst into applause again after every musical number. And we thought, okay, this is, we got it. This is now, and were you there whatever. with all the other big stars there? Were, were like, because a lot of other films premiered oh, yeah. there. Yeah. It's like, it's, you, are, are you on this like circuit together? Yeah, it was with... weird. We spent, we work, we did the circuit with, um, it was Nocturnal Animals. Oh, yeah. And Arrival and Us. Basically, right. so everywhere I, it was Amy Adams everywhere, and who seems delightful. Yeah, very. 
and Jake Gyllenhaal and Tom Ford and Jeremy Renner everywhere. Oh man, right. yeah. They, I bet their suits fit really well. No, yeah, that's right. I kept seeing Jake and Tom Ford in green rooms because they, right. they would they would leave the room and we would enter or vice versa, right? And it would just be, you know, Tom Ford suit porn. Oh, Tom Ford suit all, porn. They're all just, it was like, they fit they, so, they're so yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Oh my God, it's a lot to deal with. There was a lot to do. Are you having fun on the circuit oh, with yeah. the awards thing? Oh, yeah. What's it like? It's like a weird fairy tale. Do they call and tell you, hey, we, can you do a Q&A at this place? Or, yeah. Here's, like, it's yeah. a whole other yeah. production, yeah. kind of, now. Yeah. And you just sort of, you just have to, you know, I'm, I'm, any friend of mine, we have a lot of mutual friends, they will tell yeah. you, like, I'm a very regimented, disciplined person. I like right. to be in bed by 10 p.m. I like to wake up at a certain time. I like to eat properly. And right. You just have to let it all go. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm just going to be drinking a lot of wine and shaking hands. And, yeah. And, because Answering you know, questions. Yeah, it'll, you know, I hope it doesn't only happen once in a lifetime. But if it does, I'm going to enjoy every moment of it while it's happening. Yeah, it's really right? special. Yeah. And it's just starting to kick off with all yeah. the, That's, the I, stuff. I haven't been part of anything like this. And I'm, I was starting to get tired yeah. as of last week. And everyone said, oh, you, oh, you, you have wait. seen nothing yet. Yeah. Um, I, need new, I need new clothes. I need to go to Bloomingdale's. Oscar nominations for best song like who would would Emma would they sing it live if they got nominated hopefully I mean I yeah. don't think you know that's that's a discussion that hasn't happened I think yeah. there's are, there are, have been discussions but I don't right. think anything you don't want to jinx anything yeah. or whatever yeah. and the Golden Globes they don't have musical numbers so we don't have to worry about yeah, it yeah don't have to yeah. worry about it but Oscars I want them to fly I want I want to uh, see yeah. the I want them to do the whole yeah, movie I know, there, in front of I mean, my there face there has to be something I don't know what it will be yeah but, um, let me see what else I have on my list. Oh, I, here's my question. With a project like this, do you get paid a, a fee and that's it for as long as it takes? Or do you get, does it, okay, you, you get paid, oh, it's going four more weeks longer than we thought. Every project is different. I mean, right. Lucasfilm, I was on salary. So yeah, so you were just That there. strange magic, magic musical was supposed to go two years and went five. I just kept getting paid. That's so nice, um, right? La La Land was just, I agreed to a lump sum, and so it just got parceled out throughout the course of my gig yeah cool what's Damien like oh he's incredible I mean he's very smart focused decisive which I love that's the best thing that anyone can want from a director is decisiveness I was reading that when it came to the songs he would reject a lot of melodies and send the composer back no try again yeah yeah. I was gonna say poor Justin but Justin loves it you know I think he did something like 1900 piano demos holy over the course of this project but he's a machine. Like we will, we'll have a conversation, and the next thing you know, I get a, it's you know it's three in the morning, and I get an MP3 in my inbox. Oh, I just worked this up. What do you think? He, is he also a writer? Am I thinking of something? Yeah, else? no, he's yeah. He wrote um, some episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm. And he's currently writing Curb Your Enthusiasm with Larry David. He wrote a Simpsons episode. He's and then he's, he's just composing insane all of this stuff. Yeah, incredible. So Damien's decisive. Yeah, and really and very collaborative. And, you know, for, you know, as I said before, doesn't really micromanage. He's trusting. And just he's just warm and fun to be around. Yeah, okay. I love that. I also loved the... I loved Ryan's humor. He's really yeah. funny in it. Yeah. And he's... And a lot of that is, is Ryan it's improvising, Because the like, lines are yeah. kind of funny, but he's yeah, really funny. He doesn't funny. stick to script a lot of the times, which yeah. must drive the script supervisor mad. But are there but, moments of Ryanisms that made the movie? Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of... I think that the entire... Exchange with J.K. Simmons. Oh, one for you, two for two. For yeah, one, one for me. me. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's funny. basically Ryan. 
Yeah. I love when he says, I'm a phoenix rising from the ash. Yeah. I love I think these... that's in the, you know, At this point, it's hard to know it's where the so script ends fun. and where Ryan starts. All right. Let me pick up some questions you picked from the observation deck. Okay. What did you get picked on for when you were a kid? Oh, the name. Gizicki. What would they call you? Oh, I mean, you know, Godzilla, Kawasaki, Suzuki, Sukiyaki. I mean, my name is not Japanese, but, but you know, it just... When this was in the seventies, growing right. up in Michigan, right? You know, back back in those days, being different was not good. No, now now being in, an individual is good. Right, you could have your own gazillion yeah. club. Yeah, so now actually, I'm now I love the name, and yeah, most. A lot of people just call you Gazicki. No one really calls me Steve except for my mom. Really. Yeah, even on set, like oh yeah, they, they, it's yeah. always Gazicki, and and then people start apologizing for being so casual. Oh, I'm right. sorry, should I come? No, just I'm used yeah. to it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite bad movie? Uh, the Apple. Oh, it's delicious, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, what's that number? What, wait. Uh, scream, Steam, uh, Speed. Speed, yeah. Yeah. I discovered the Nothing Apple like kind of late. Pa- patriotism to drug addiction. Yeah. It's kind of appropriate for these times we live in. It, it, yeah. But that movie was sort of like, like, my friends sort of all discovered it. Later, like because yeah, well, nobody was, remembers when it came out or anything. Yeah, do you? Was, no, I don't remember when it came out. But the, about two thousand nine, maybe two thousand eight, it was finally released on DVD, and I learned about it because the LA Weekly had a little um, a little blurb about it. it said it's right. the best sci-fi disco musical you've ever seen. Like what? That sounds so sci-fi good. disco and musical. I need to own this right now. And I just I think I bought it without even having seen it and. Invited over some of our mutual friends and converted. We all and you all want, discovered it together. Yeah, yeah. That's pretty good. Finola Hughes is in yeah. it. She carries that film. <laughs> um, what job were you the most excited to learn that you got? Oh, the Lucasfilm job. Yeah, because I'm a Star Wars diehard, and I had never wanted any job more badly in my entire life. And just how was it pitched to you? Was it just uh, well, you're going to be doing music supervision for Lucasfilm yeah, on I, various projects? You know, I, this is sort of. Going back to the, you know, whether you call it the fools who dream or the, the dreamers, whatever you were saying earlier about the beautiful, the, strugglers. The beautiful strugglers. Yeah. I was a struggler and I had been, I, I worked for Disney animation at one point. I had been laid off and I had gone years and years trying to make it as an independent music supervisor in this business. And it got to the point where I was not making any money. I was about to lose my house. I was at the lowest low point. Right. But I just kept... What got Hold, you through it? I just kept holding on. I, could, I just knew, like, this is what I do. This is my career. See, this, I'm in that place this now. Is what I, this I, is I, what I do. I have to believe in myself, and I have to sell the house, and I sell the house. And if I have to sell myself, I sell myself, whatever. But, um, and I was at the lowest possible point, and I really was about to put the house up for sale. And I, a friend of mine was also out of work, and I just called and said, let's go to the beach. I need to just decompress and get over this right and on the way back out of no i just was checking my email at a red light like a responsible citizen and uh and i got this email out of nowhere that says hi my name is sarah and i work at lucasfilm would you like to come up and work in a movie with george just out of nowhere how did that it just fell from the sky who who recommended you how did they um, know you i because i had done animated musicals at disney animation yeah uh, this woman, Sarah MacArthur, she's a producer. She was a producer at Pixar, and then she started at, then she was a producer at Lucasfilm. She called the Disney Animation music department that was still standing and said, Hi, we need someone like you. Who would you recommend? And they threw out my name. And They said Gazicki. Yeah, they said Gazicki. 
And yeah. you went up, and they offered it to, they didn't oh. even say, come and interview. No, they, no, that I interviewed. I had oh, yeah. Meet. I, it, I, that was a struggle. That was, took forever. Right. I was there a lightsaber there, sort of no, uh, competition? I had like seven interviews or something wow. over the course of like four, three, four months and a security check. Because at that time it was pre-Disney, it was all just a privately held company and yeah. they were worried about George Weirdos coming in. Yeah. And, um, and at that, you know, my money's running out and I'm, and I'm just... Betting interview. Every, are you all my up? eggs are in that Star Wars basket? Like, are you flying up for yeah. interview after yeah, interview? Yeah, there were some skypes and yeah. yeah, on your own dime. Yeah, no, no, um, no, they, they would fly me. They would fly you up, and I got to stay at the Skywalker Ranch. In, of course, when I was up there once. What's the coolest little detail of Skywalker Ranch? Like, oh, they have special post-it notes, or do they have like oh, fun my. pens? Of course, I go to the office supplies. <laughs> exactly. Doorknobs. I can't, I can't think there's a. There's not a stapler shaped like C-3PO. I don't know what the... I mean, cool as in, like, a Star Wars detail is what you're Not necessarily a Star Wars detail, but, like, nobody else on Earth has this Well, I, I love in the... It's called the Tech Building, which is Skywalker Sound. That's the right. mixing stages and the dub stages. I've had friends mix movies there. And in the middle of, of an atrium is the actual um, TikTok from Return to Oz. Oh, fun. Do you remember that for Ball? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The actual life-size TikTok. There it is. Animatronic thing is there. Just right in, there. In, in, in an atrium. Yeah. Where were you when you found out you got the job? I was at home. They called you? Probably thinking about what to sell. Yeah. And they called and I just screamed and threw myself on the floor. And a very And it's kind of exciting. It's moment. exciting also. You're moving. You got a new yeah. job. Big thing. That was very no, exciting, yeah, right? They, because it, it just took so long for them to... I think it was between me and somebody else and then because of the security clearances. But they were backing up against a deadline where they needed to get this movie made. Yeah. So they called me on like a Tuesday or something and I needed to be in San Francisco full time on Monday. Wow. And I said, okay, sure, great. Let's go. Make it happen. Yeah. There you go. Have you, uh, What's George like? Have you spent much time with oh, him? Oh, a lot of time. Yeah. I, I have nothing but the most wonderful memories of that guy. What was different about him than you thought he would be? He's funnier and warmer than... Than yeah. we would expect, yeah. Because his well, he doesn't really have much of a public persona because he doesn't do interviews. He's not out there, right? Um, doing yeah, he's, a, he's pretty mysterious. He, yeah, he's pretty mysterious. And, yeah. And what what we see is either well cultivated by a PR department or people overreacting to things that he says and taking them out of context. I guess. But he was, I hate to say, like a father figure, but a really warm, wise mentor type actually what a fun chapter oh god it was you know one of the best experiences of my entire life and you know before strange magic came out which did terribly at the box office and the reception was not good how did that how was was that did that feel like a blow or was that like we i was at a screening and showed the finished product to george and and he just sees worry in my face because it was opening in the next weekend or something he literally put puts his hand on my shoulder and says steve what's you okay and i said i'm just nervous and he's he's like steve like you can't worry about what other people will think. It's like you've done a fantastic job, and you just have to be proud of the job that you did. And that's what matters. That's awesome. Don't worry about what the world thinks. That's be, be awesome to hear from the guy whose name is on the company. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's exactly. sort of a relief. Yeah. Because everything in this show business seems so driven by ratings and results and money. How much did it make? It? You, well, you know he what I mean? read reviews of his own movies. Great. And because he just, once it's done, it's done. And, you know, he, he so he, he just doesn't pay attention to the the negativity surrounding he doesn't the prequels or something. Driven by fear, which no, a lot no. of businesses, you know. That's cool. Um, one of the songs on in the observation deck that you didn't pick, um, what song makes you cry? Oh god. 
Is there a song that makes you cry? I'm trying to think. There's got to be a song that makes me cry. Yeah. Oh, No Regrets. By uh, Robbie Williams? No, oh, Tom, Tom Rush. Rush. Okay. Does it? I have to go. I don't know I don't it. Know. I have to go check it out. It was in The Wonder Boys. I think that might okay. have been where I discovered it. Yeah. It's just there's something about it that's just beautiful. Yeah. Is there a movie that you wish you could have been the music supervisor on? Even one from like... Oh yeah, of course being a wallflower. Hands down. That's my favorite movie of the last 10 years. I, 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 that movie I makes me cry so much. Alex Pitsov was like, you knocked it out of the park. I have, that, jealous. I have that poster <laughs> in my bathroom. Yeah. I love that movie yeah. so much. That movie just hits me in all the right places. And you know, I'm glad she got the job because she did the most brilliant job with it and I might yeah. have fucked it up. That movie is like... Uh, I go back to it again and again whenever I need a good cry. Yeah. Um, what's next for you? Um, a couple of things that I can't talk about yet. But it's brewing. Yeah. Is La La Land really sort of changing the game for you in terms oh, of... Yeah. 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 So, I'm, you know, I'm getting... Got a lot of again, heat, a lot again, of buzz. That's the struggle, right? Yeah. We, we, we struggle to get... Because we think that we're good at what we do, right? right? And that's just convincing... Like an audition, it's convincing someone else that you are good at what you do. Right. And when Emma talks about, in the movie, she's like, what if I'm one of those people that always like to do it, but I don't really... Yeah. Like, oh, God. And yes. I just I just believe in holding on, and, you know, while everyone else falls off the side of the boat, just keep... Just holding on. Holding on, yeah. What got you through your uh, slow times? Booze? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, I, I don't know. That. It's just that I... Being in, having been in, because I used to be a, a record label guy for a really long time. Right. And that industry went upside down. And I've, the, lost, I've yeah. lost more jobs than I've had. It's, you know, it's the magic of, of the business. Right. It's like su- just, succeeding down. Yeah. You just Like you go into an arena, do a good job, and then it ends. Yeah, and and you just learn to just get up and say, huh, okay, well, right. that happened. And you ha- and you keep going. I've seen so many people just give up along the way, and I... I, I can't think of what else I would do otherwise, right. I guess. So I just have to believe in myself. It's the only commodity that I have that I have any control over. Yeah. So. Um, how does it feel to be involved in something that's going to that's gonna mean something to people for a long time? I think La La Land is going to be something I, that people go back to. I, maybe they'll do it as the Outfest sing-along. Yeah. Like, it'll be... I think it'll... I think it means something to people. I... I hope so. I mean, when we were working on it, you just, you don't know. Right. You know, uh, again, I was talking to Mandy Moore, the choreographer recently, like when we're just, when we're making, when we make these things, you live in a bubble. Right. right? You just don't, I didn't see my friends for about a year and I'm, and you, you're working on this little thing with a very tight knit group of people in isolation. Right. right? And then as soon as you push it out into the world, you don't know what's going to happen. Like here's our baby. I think the baby's cute. Yeah. Is it cute? We could be crazy. We yeah, we're, the baby we're in could a bubble. Be a, yeah. Really ugly baby. Yeah. But seeing people react so positively to it has been. I, I'm still kind of numb to it and trying to process it and not take it seriously or have unrealistic expectations because I don't want to right. be disappointed if X Y Z doesn't happen. Right. You know. But I've been getting the nicest notes on Facebook and texts from. Friends and colleagues and people in the business. And when your name comes up, it's nice and big. Oh, yeah. No, that's great. And it's nice to hear, you know, it's see good. my friends and have them applaud. Yeah. And I'm taking my family to see it tomorrow. Oh, that's going to be amazing. I took my parents to the premiere and they were beside, beside themselves. themselves. Oh, yeah, they, yeah. I love that. Did your mom meet Ryan Gosling? 
She thinks she did, but I don't, I don't think she did. She came, I think I did too, well, she, and it was really intense. She came back and she said, I think I met Ryan Gosling, and I'm thinking it was no, you probably would know. a waiter. You would. <laughs> because, well, they, you know, they had to, they, they did Emma and Ryan the day after the premiere, early in the morning, they were doing handprints at the Chinese theater. So I knew that they weren't going to be around for very long. So right. by the time when my mom said that, I think, oh no, he left, like, he was yeah. only at the party for half an hour and he's gone. Yeah. Well, I hope you enjoyed meeting the That's winner. amazing. <laughs> she goes, she thinks. Yeah. What's your dream gig? I mean, it seems like this was kind this of a dream, a dream, but you don't... I've, I've had two dream gigs. You know, the yeah. Lucasfilm was a dream gig. This yeah. is a dream gig. But both dream gigs, I never knew, I never expected that they would exist until they happened. Does that make sense? Right. You don't know... In your job, it, it, you, you don't create the movie, yeah. so you kind of have yeah. to... I mean, Lucasfilm, the... Lucasfilm has never had a music department before, right. ever. So I had nothing to aspire to because it didn't exist, right? Yeah. A movie like people are quite rightly saying about La La Land, they don't make them like that anymore. So yeah. I, I couldn't aspire to make a Singing in the Rain classic right. musical because it didn't exist. Right? right. So, you know, I don't know. I mean... Here's something I've noticed about musicals, and tell me if you agree with this. Especially with gay guys, mm-hmm. gay people. If a comedy, if they see a comedy and it, and it doesn't work for them, they're like, oh, wasn't that funny? Yeah. If they see a drama, oh, I wasn't that into it, I was bored, whatever. If they see a musical and they and it doesn't quite work for them, they're like, there should have been a number of 45 minutes in, I don't know why she went into the head voice there, and the bell. They have a lot of opinions yeah. about musicals. Well, and because I think they go very feel, wrong very fast, too. And, and people, they feel like an ownership yeah, to they it. they get angry. Well, I can't believe they yeah. cast her. It's, it's, it's basically it's a direct line from being okay to, to hatred. It's really, right. it's, you know, and even people with... People can kind of shrug even, the way, like, oh, the movie's kind of Even with La La Land, I've had friends that's like, yeah. I have a page of notes, or yeah. you know what I mean? Like, and musicals get people specifically yeah. thinking well, in a way that other movies don't. It's interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I'm happy that people are reacting to La La Land as positively as they are, because yeah. it doesn't actually follow the musical rules, No, right? that's the thing. And they're, they're like, like, well, there should have been another number of yeah, 45 minutes. Not, a rep- there's not an I want song really she right. has the moment in the bathroom that's the closest thing you get right and there should be technically there should be a reprise of that later doesn't happen right um, we have a pre-prise of City of Stars I guess of, you know Ryan sings it and then it gets fleshed out later you know we don't have the big happy we're in love and everything is great now production number right, right? the movie ends on an and somebody's and like, a, they should have had to do that at the yeah, end. Yeah, the you movie know? ends on a 10-minute instrumental piece. Yeah. With no dialogue. That's not normal. And the thing, right? <laughs> No, which I love. And the thing is, I like it more every time I see it yeah. because I surrender to what it is mm-hmm. instead of bringing in, like, what I... What, yeah, well, right. I don't know. What I want, what I think, what I've seen before. Like, I just... Yeah. I, I surrender to it. And people have... Opinions that, you know, everyone is entitled to those, but I read Run Review that just tore it apart because we take that detour into 80s material for a bit. Right. In the middle of the movie, but right? Damien, but, you feel like Damien is like, I know what I'm doing, I've got this. Yeah, yeah. Like, he must be, he must be, hey, to get a musical made is very hard yeah, anyway. Yeah. But also, to, to sort of break rules and do things, the, the courage of his vision... Yeah. And the way he must communicate it to get people on board but also is impressive. And he's such a good writer, too, by the way, that the script, you know, I was dying to be in the movie anyway, so yeah. I would have jumped on anything. Right. But I, you know, I read the script on that first day, and the script reads so beautifully, and it's so engaging and thrilling. I mean, re- the epilogue reads as you as Oh, you I'd see love it. to see it. I wonder if it's and published anywhere. 
I don't know if it, they is, usually end up being published it, somewhere it you can be. look it at. But, you know, I actually, after I read it, Damien's like, oh, what did you think? And I said, oh, that epilogue thing, that's going to be my favorite sequence in a movie ever in history. And he laughs, like, really? I'm like, oh, yeah. It, and <laughs> it is, I think. It's so lovely. Yeah. Um, oh, I wanted to ask you this about the beginning. When we see Emma and Ryan mm-hmm. in the cars, they had to sit there through... Oh, no, that's a, there's a little trickery there. There's a little trickery? Yeah, I'm yeah. like, did they sit there through the, all of that? Yeah. Okay, because it doesn't look like they cut. Yeah. But anyway, that's magical. Yeah. I love it. But that. it's, you know, I don't know if I should be mentioning some trickery, but it's no, not... No, that's like, okay. You know, but, you know. It's all, it's all good. And I think we also, we move, there are bits around, because initially, at one point, again, the, the pieces of the opening kind of moved around a bit, because at one point it started with the overture, then you met Emma and Ryan, then it went off to the traffic number. Then you saw Emma and Ryan again, and they yeah. flipped a bit bird and drove away. Yeah. Um, so we just kind of move some things around. Some bits around. Yeah. And I like the way the opening works, where you see his thing and her thing. And anyway, and it's I just that, so like, delicious for me. That opening, the and I, it's part of the trust thing with Damien. Like you just watch it and you think this is odd because for the first two thirds of the song, you don't see any city. You just see cars and then blue sky, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe some stuff in the background, you know, some cars driving yeah. underneath. And like, why, do, why are we looking at the city? But that money shot where the crane goes up, the yellow girl jumps in the median and yeah. she, with her hands, she's like sort of a conductor and she yeah. lifts the, the camera up and you see the whole city. Yeah. And then the title card hit. I mean, it's just and it's, it's like, Oh, of course we're saving the, and then you have that great joke where it comes up winter, winter yeah. and everyone I, laughs. I wonder if anyone's going to get that, Outside of yeah. California. It's such a Valentine to LA. Yeah. It's like my friends that I was watching it with last night, they were like, oh, this makes me love LA more. This yeah, makes me appreciate yeah. the beauty of it. Like, I want to go to the observatory. I hadn't been in a long time. All that stuff. All right. This has been so delightful. Okay. I Normally, I plug whatever people have going on and send people uh-huh. to a Facebook page, but your thing's pretty easy to find. There it is. <laughs> it's everywhere. Now playing it's, in a theater near I you. love yeah. that. Yeah. I love that. Uh, final question. Did you keep any souvenirs from it? Oh yeah, I've got. What do you have? Of, well, I've got. <laughs> he's right. He's getting well, up. This people, is, this is a little thing, but it's... this is so exciting. This is, it's not much of anything, but I've got. I saved. Oh, it's a napkin from Sebs <laughs> with the music note in it. The music note. You would know what this is if you saw it. I will take a picture of it and post it on the podcast. This is kind of an amazing thing to yeah, keep. That... That I love. That's pretty awesome. I think I have other souvenirs around. Yeah, but that's pretty special. You nailed that. You nailed that. Congrats. Enjoy everything. Thank you. You know what I was going to say? I always say it's the last question. It's not the last question. I think this movie came out at a time when people needed something like this. Yeah. And do you feel that in the air? Do you feel like the sense of like, oh, something joyful, something optimistic? It's been a shithole of a year. It's been a shit year. Yeah. Um... And despite which political side of the fence one may right. you know, although was, I assume your, was, your listeners mostly, well, you know, but it was just, it was an it, ugly campaign it was, it was ugly on both sides. Right. Yeah. And, and also, you know, half of my idols passed away this year. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, and it was just a rough year all around. And plus at, at the same, you know, taking that aside, the, the holiday season is, you know, at this time we just get all the Oscar bait movie yeah. guys and they're also bleak. Usually, yeah. Right. Uh, we were uh, Manchester by the Sea. Yeah, and you know, I, and I, I think it really hit us too when we were in Venice, and there were before we were the opening night presentation, and preceding that was a montage of all the films in competition, i.e., all the Oscar bait for this year. Right. And it was just dark, dark, bleak, bleak, dark, yeah. dark, dark, dark. And then we came out of the middle like this exploding thing of cotton candy. Yeah. And then it went back to dark, 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 dark. So like, wow, we really stand out, but in the best 
possible way. Yeah, you know. If, I mean, if, I love a bleak movie like Nobody's Business, right. by the way. So, but it's but, but it's really people welcome the opportunity to feel good. Yeah, and your movie makes people feel good. So, congrats! So. Thank you. Awesome. This Thank has you. been really fun, Steve. Fun. Thank you. Yay! <laughs> Thanks again to Steve Gazicki for answering all my fanboy questions about La La Land. Uh, I also took a picture of Steve holding the Seb's cocktail napkin, and I'm going to post it on DennisAnyone.net under the podcast uh, button if you want to see the cute, uh, the cute napkin, and it's a fun picture. Anyway, all right, so this happened. Well, what happened? It's the end of the year. Um, in one of my previous podcasts, I was asking... Everyone at the Kiss Me, Kill Me premiere, what was the best thing about 2016 and the worst thing? And I think I should answer that, myself, my own damn self. So I would say the best thing is my dog Enzo. I'd never had a dog before. Uh, I adopted him at the end of May. Uh, he's a rescue. He's licking my toe as I write this. And I just got really lucky. He's a great dog. And all that stuff that dog owners tell you about unconditional love and... All of that stuff is true, and he's just great. And so that's the best thing about 2016. Um, The worst, I mean, a lot of people that I asked that to said the election, which, of course, was no picnic. But I think, for me, I had some health issues in 2016, and uh, it got a little gnarly there for a while. But um, I got through it, and I'm doing much better, and uh, that's something to be grateful for at the end of the year. And my friends that saw me through that and were there for me uh, and uh, doing the podcast was always a joy. And so uh, there's that. So 2016 needs to get over. I am not happy about things this year. I, I, George Michael was the final blow. And I'm so glad that I got to see him in concert. Um, I'm going to post on Facebook. I did a video blog when I saw his concert. At the time I was doing video blogs for um, a Bravo website called OutZone TV. So I do a, a sort of recap of his, his concert, which was in the late aughts. It was probably 2008, 2009. And um, I'm going to post that on my Facebook page. So if you want to revisit The Wonder of George. What I remember most about that concert, though, was his gratitude to the fans. It really felt palpable. I remember him saying, like, it's not always easy to be my fan because I don't come up with a lot of new music and I'm kind of crazy, but... You stuck with me, and it really felt, you really felt his gratitude, and that was amazing. And he sounded great, and he sang the hits, and it was heaven. So if you want to hear a blow-by-blow of that, go to my Facebook page. I'm going to post that video uh, blog link soon, or I'll post it on Dennis Anyone, too. Dennis Anyone Facebook page. All right, that's all I got. Happy New Year. Um, Here's to a brighter 2017, and thanks for listening this year. It really means a lot to me, and we'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye. (laughs) 